Welcome to episode 58 of Talking Wild Madness. This is Adam. We're just waiting for Tom to join us from Tübingen in Germany. And he is just working through a few technical issues. We found out recently that uh, Tübingen was actually home to a few historically uh, significant uh, writers or thinkers or philosophers or, or whoever you want to call these, whoever we want to call these people. I'll get back to that in a sec. Tom has just entered the waiting room. Let's admit Tom into the waiting room. And it looks like he might be in a canoe this week. There he is. He's in a canoe. Oh, no, he's back on the hills and dales. Uh, Thomas, I'm just trying to get the... I'm just trying to get the screen to go side by side. Uh, and I will try and do that. If you can just bear with me, everybody. Show my connected time. Now, Tom, while I'm doing this, if you can unmute your or activate your microphone, because you are sounding like Charlie Chaplin in his early films. Ask to confirm video. Turn my video on. Hide non-participants. Share screen. Here we go. And this might do it. Or it might not. We'll see how we go. Tom, can you hear me? Okay. Gallery view. Ah, that's better. Tom, I cannot hear you though. Now down the bottom, there's a, on the bottom left, there's a mute and unmute. Oh, Tom's just, has just, he's just floated up about six inches. It looks like he's eating, he might be eating squid cooked in its own ink or sauerkraut. Now, because he is in Germany and not in Greece in the 1970s. I imagine it might be sauerkraut. Tom, I still can't hear you, brother. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Did you did you press the on button? I did. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm I'm this koala that I put up is really he's really taking over, visually. Yeah. Um, kind of dominating now. He really is, but I'm happy for him to dominate. Are you happy for the koala to be uh, to be there? Hey, if that's what you want to do, if you if you want to be a koala, yeah, I'm I'm I am feeling it. I'm feeling um, I'm feeling qualified to uh, to make that call. Scuba. The fact, thank you, and the fact that he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt just calms me a lot. It's quite soothing. Yes, yeah, that's helpful. Um, Tom, sure. you're looking you're looking very fresh faced and healthy and. You're looking like a English Premier League soccer player who's on a holiday and enjoying the lockdown. Um, you're still keeping in shape. You're still doing the right thing. Um, but I get the feeling that you appreciate being off the pitch and not hanging out with the guys so much. You're getting uh, a bit of time to yourself. Um, would I be far off the mark with that, Tom? Um, far off the mark. Well, I, yeah, not, 
Not too far off the mark, I guess. I do play a bit of soccer on the weekends, generally. And I haven't been able to do that, given the current circumstances with the global pandemic. Yeah. Um, I notice you've trimmed your beard a little bit. Trimmed my beard a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, you know how it is. You gotta gotta keep on top of things. You have to keep on top of many things, Tom. As a <laughs> as a modern man, you have to keep on top of many things. I watched a cooking video today of an Italian man, and he was making pork Milanese, which is a is a fancy way of saying, "Oh, you've just turned into a library, Tom." Very nice. <laughs> Which is a fancy way of saying, oh, for those people just listening to the audio on the podcast and not watching the video on YouTube, Tom has changed his virtual background from an English Dale and River to what looks to be maybe a very, very serious old-fashioned three-story library. Uh, so pork Milanese is basically fillets of pork. Like if you can imagine a steak, but instead of made out of beef, it's made out of pork. And then you smash you hammer the, the pork to tenderize it and make it a little bigger. And then you, uh, you, you dip it in flour and the flour you have seasoned with salt and pepper. And, uh, uh, if you want to get real fancy, a little bit of garlic powder, I, I, we didn't do the garlic powder. And then you bathe it in a beaten egg and then you, uh, dust it in panko crumbs that have been mixed with finely chopped parsley and Parmesan cheese. Then you fry the pork Milanese, you fry it in garlic infused olive oil and butter. And the Italian chef who was cooking, he said, now this is a, this is a dish for men to cook. And he said, there's no point in being a man if there's no uh, women around. So he was, he was almost talking, he was saying, you, if you were going to have pork, you had to have salt and pepper. If you were going to do the Milanese, you had to have Parmesan and, and, and parsley. If you were going to be a man, you had to have women uh, around. And it was fabulously audacious of the Italian man. Uh, so I think he was on top of things. And I liked the way he was confidently expressing uh, what he was talking about. Now, if we can get back to the, to the soccer business. Now, the club environment of being involved in a club and being involved, whether, whatever sport it happens to be, there's a lot of male energy in there. I have to say, I don't enjoy those kind of environments. I don't enjoy hanging out with 20 other dudes, 20 other men, be they Italian, be they what, soccer what is, players. Can you, can you go into that a bit? Why can you? Do you, do you know why is that? Uh, why do I not like go, uh, being around twenty men at one time? Yeah, is it obvious or? I guess I'm not a. Uh, I guess I'm not a, a Greek, uh, ancient Greek uh, homosexual philosopher. <laughs> I, I think I, I just. Oh, but having said that, mate, if the if the if the guys that are involved in these clubs are were ancient Greek philosophers or modern Greek philosophers, maybe I would. But every time I've been in those situations, most of the men involved are as thick as Subway sandwiches. 
and it's very, very painful to have to hang out for three hours at a time, three or four days a week and train together and play together. Cause you just spend a lot of your time thinking, Jesus, you're a, you're a fucking moron. Best thing that could happen <laughs> to you and the rest of the world is if your head just got cut off at random now and your ideas and, and your, the uh, embodiment of your ideas through your physical actions wouldn't exist. I mean, that would be best for everybody. And while we're in this pandemic, this madness, imagine if a pandemic swept through the world and it only targeted and took out stupid men and stupid women. Now that's, that's, that, that is worth not washing your hands for, I think. Um, I, I disagree. I think, um, stupidity is like, um, that movie Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does. Yes. And there's a lot of, um, that simple kind of wisdom can be expressed through simple sports. Um, like for example, you might be talking to a defender, um, and they're obviously focused more or their, their qualities are, um, did you just say qualities? I better expressed through maybe defending or you might be speaking with an offensive player whose qualities might be better expressed through um, offensive action. Some of the things to consider when, when you're in this kind of environment of, of males that, because essentially where if you go to a football field and you're kicking the ball around, you're, you're essentially, um, going off with the males of the tribe to do the to do the week's hunting or the it's just essentially what's happening. You, it's a communicative kind of exercise of um, of instinct and um, trust, I guess. Too. Yes, I, I'd be happy to engage in simple wisdom. I I, I wouldn't for a second say that uh, wisdom has to be complicated. In, in fact, I, I would say the opposite, that the best wisdom is often the most simple. But the, I think the analogy of what you're saying falls a little short because, yes, if you're talking to the defender, you ha he has to understand that his job is to defend. But the problem with hanging out with this defender is that, you have to talk to him about many, many other things other than defending. And, and he is of the opinion that because he is a decent defender and he's intelligent in that field of defending a ball going into an onion bag, for example, that he therefore is able to speculate, pontificate, across a wide ranging fields of ideas and concerns. Uh, and that's where it gets frustrating to me. That's where it gets very uh, difficult to be in that, in that, in that environment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's why we're, we're sitting around talking philosophy and, um, and not playing football. Well, no one's playing football at the moment. Let's, I mean, that's, that's, that's clear as well. 
But I mean, everybody's we, doing doing this at the moment. Actually, like most, a lot of people are doing Zoom conference calls. Yeah, and apparently there's some crazy hackers that um, uh, jump into the meetings and throw in horrific child pornography. So hopefully that doesn't oh, nice. happen. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen today. Um, uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll light a candle and and, and hope it doesn't. Um, but yeah, you have you have to get you have to keep on top of things. That's that's absolutely true. Um, I, I noticed you have a now. Speaking of keeping on top of things, you you've kept on top of, of something there. You have a microphone stand this week. Yes, I've had a microphone stand for a little while now. I think I had it last. I've had it, yeah, I think I might have had it for the last three podcasts, maybe. All right. Yeah. Well, then that that uh, exposes me terribly because this is the first week that I've noticed that you've uh, that you've had a microphone stand. Uh, I don't think so. I think I think you commented on it before. I, well, that exposes me even more, but terribly now <laughs> that, that I'm having revelations that I've already had, Tom. So, oh dear, maybe I need to just get back on the, the football field training and talk about defending the ball instead. <laughs> um, now, so th- there's three main points I'd like to talk about today. And of course, if we don't talk about any of them, that's absolutely perfect and fine as well. If we talk about one of them, that's fine. Two of them, not a problem. And if we happen to talk about all three of them, then that, that's also fine. But uh, the first point is that you stumbled across a dead body recently. The yes, second, yeah, this is true. This is true. The second point is uh, that I am exploring the idea of giving up thinking. And the third point I'd like to talk about is I bought a vegetable box from a veg in Albany on Sanford road and you pay $60 for a giant box of vegetables or you pay $35 for a a half giant box of vegetables. And the amount of vegetables that you get for $35 will almost get you two weeks worth of vegetables. Uh, And all the vegetables that a veg provide, are sourced locally in in around the area around Albany, Mount Barker, Denmark, that kind of thing. Nice. In the vegetable box, Tom. In the vegetable box. Not only did I get maybe two weeks worth of vegetables for my thirty-five dollars. Mm-hmm. Not only did I get all those vegetables sourced locally. They also threw in an organic pot of jam, mm. which I wasn't expecting. That is, um, that's kind of like a cherry on top. It is like a cherry on top. Now, I don't know if it was cherry jam, but it might have been. But it reminded mm. me of uh, what my good friend uh, Phil said that the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is a little bit extra. Mm. And for real. For, for, sh- for shizzle, real talk. So I was very, very, when they said, because the, I went in to order the half box of vegetables. I don't know who's ordering the, the big box of vegetables, by the way, because that's a lot of vegetables. Like I've got a lot of vegetables now and I've got a lot of fruit. And the great thing about buying these, these boxes is that you have fruit and vegetables that you wouldn't normally buy. 
So mm-hmm. I had like, there were mandarins in there. There were plums in there. Uh, there, there was, um, there was two different kinds of pumpkin. There was a punnet of strawberries. So you, uh, now this week I'm making a pumpkin and sweet potato, uh, cauliflower bake, and I'm going to slice strawberries through it and make a salad with it. Never, I never would have gone to the shops to do that on my own uh, accord. But mm-hmm. you're, you're, it's basically, it's like being a painter and you're, and you're being given a palette with which to work with. Yes. Which, which can be really helpful because, um, yeah, cause it's just throws, it throws things into a, into a new, um, paradigm. It absolutely does. It presents you with, with a new perspective. Like I haven't eaten a Mandarin since I don't know when, literally. And, and these local mandarins are delicious. It's basically like eating uh, a, a wedge of cold sugar. It's so delightful. Yeah. So juicy. Yeah, they're one of my, one of my favorite fruits. For sure. Mandarins. Well, that's, <laughs> listen, it's funny because it's one of my favorite fruits, as is the plum, as is the strawberry. I haven't bought a mandarin, a plum, or a strawberry in maybe three or four years. <laughs> so you yeah, have to. It doesn't occur to you. It just doesn't occur to me. What do I want to buy a mandarin for? So you enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's a good point. That is a quality <laughs> point, Tom. Um, so of, of those three, uh, of those three subjects, of those three ideas or topics, um, if, if you'd like to, and again, if you want to begin on one of them or any thoughts on a, a fourth topic, uh, you're, I see you're coughing a bit there, Tom. Do you have the coronavirus? <laughs> I've not. And can yeah, I get it? And can I get it through Zoom? <laughs> I think koalas can contract it digitally. Can they really? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they all have chlamydia too. Did you hear this? <laughs> My koala gave me the clap. My koala gave me the clap. That would have been the sequel if the book had been successful. But uh... <laughs> how do you measure success? Uh, money, Tom. <laughs> Book sales and money. How do you measure? <laughs> ah, the old, the old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way. The white man's way, Tom. Money. <laughs> money and books, Adam. Money and oh yeah, you're surrounded by by books um, that had sequels <laughs> to them. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. Um. For those people playing at home without the visual, my avatar is a koala and it's taking up, it's not even allowing my face to be in the foreground. So Tom is basically talking to a koala in a Hawaiian shirt at the moment. Four score and seven years ago, I met a koala climbing in the trees. He said, What did he say? He said, said nothing. nothing. He's no, a I'll tell you what he said. He said, G'day, mate. My name's Hugh. Eucalypt. What's going on? Anyway. <laughs> I think you nailed it there. <laughs> um, you nailed it like a Roman soldier on Golgotha. Okay. Uh, so the, the, three, the three topics were... The the dead guy that I stumbled upon, or that I, um, and the, what was the second topic? 
the second topic was the the third one was the vegetables. The second one was I, I remember, remember that. Huh? The second one. Well, yeah. Well, I forget what the second one. Oh, giving I up thinking. I'm... Giving up thinking. Um, <laughs> we forgot. Yeah, which was actually that that was quite good. Actually, that worked out quite well. <laughs> Because I was I was battling with the shame of forgetting the second idea, but it actually suited the idea very well. Now, okay, so I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, even though it get, goes against the grain of my new philosophy, I'll tell you what I'm thinking, Tom. And that is one of the really hardest. Good. That's one of the hardest things about giving up thinking is that you have to think about it before you do it, and then you also have to. Well, keep you don't. It, huh? You don't have to. You don't have to, but you can choose to, and it. If, if, you can't choose anything without thinking about it. And if you want to maintain the absence, the abstinence of thought, you have to, you have to maintain thinking about abstaining from thought, which makes it a very difficult uh, discipline. Well, I don't know. You put that idea into the cosmos just now. Uh, yes, I did. I you, probably, you didn't probably oh. didn't birth the idea, but I pro- who knows who birthed the idea. So the, the reason why the reason why I'm thinking about giving up thinking and it's based it's it is birthed in a little bit of Taoism and and the the I think we've talked about the, the parable of the Chinese farmer and his neighbor before. And for anyone playing at home who hasn't heard it, basically the 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 Tibetan farmer's son goes out and finds a wild horse, brings it back to the, to his father. The neighbor says to the father, this is great. You've got a new horse. The Chinese farmer says, uh, we'll see. The next day, the son is trying to tame the horse to break it in, to domesticate it. The horse bucks the son off and the son falls on the ground, breaks his leg. The neighbor says to the, to the, to the neighbor, the neighbor says to the farmer, this is a tragedy that your son has hurt himself. The father says, we'll see. The next day, the Chinese army comes through, rolling through the village and takes all the sons off to war, except for the son who's broken his leg because he's useless. The neighbor says, pops his head over the fence and says, pops his head over the Super Six and says, oh, this is great. Your son didn't have to go off to war. The Chinese farmer says, we'll see. Now, it's kind of based, it's grounded on, in, in, in that kind of thinking, which, which illustrates that regardless of how much thought and how much ideas we put into a thing, the outcome of the thing has little or no relation to the intent of the action. Oh, I disagree. Why do you disagree, Tom? I think that the story is... um, Because the story is more about circumstance than intent. I think it's more about um, situational intent is a different thing. I think when intent comes from within. No, so. can you explain that? Cause I, I, <laughs> I, I think, I think the story is about not being able to tell the outcome of a given circumstance, regardless of how obvious this given circumstance is. Yes. Yeah, that I, that I agree with. I agree with that. So if the that's, first thing that you that you said about the the intent not not um, influencing the um, outcome, uh, 
I think that's I think they're, they're, that's false. Well, the Chinese farmer's son went out with the intent of finding a wild horse. He spent the next day breaking in the wild horse with the intent to domesticate that horse. And yet yeah. his intentions did not result in what he originally thought his intentions were going to result in. How can we know that? We can't. That's the, this is, that's the point. We can't know that. Well, unless he thought, <laughs> I'm going to go and find a horse and break my legs so I don't have to get conscripted by the army in three days' time. I don't think he thought that. But then again... No, that wasn't his intent. No, that maybe that, that wasn't. That, maybe that, that wasn't, wasn't his intent. intent then. But then you still have to follow the story on when the, when the farmer's neighbor says, it's good that, that your son did not get conscripted. Okay, so if the, if the son had got conscripted, maybe he would have gone off to be a, a war hero and a national icon in, in Chinese folklore and brought riches and wealth and land and power to the farmer. Or he, got, he didn't get conscripted and he stayed home and then he just descended into this rice wine drinking alcoholic who had a limp for the rest of his life and ended up wreaking havoc and raping the the neighbor's daughters and just caused misery. And, you know, so the fact that he didn't get conscripted might've actually not been a good thing. Yes. Well, I'm glad we agree, Tom. Um, right, let's move on to the vegetable <laughs> box. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. The vegetable, I think that, well, maybe we should go on to the, dead guy because from the, the from dead death, guy. I'd, I'd like, like to move on to well, the from, dead guy but I'm having trouble with referring to him as the dead guy <laughs> I think we could show I think we could show him a little bit more respect than that right right I think so I don't know what do you uh, think well I'll go into the, how I encountered this this um this body um and uh and and then I guess maybe we can go from there. So I was I'd spent the night at my girlfriend's place, and I I live across the other side of town um, from her. So it's about a fifteen or ten or fifteen minute ride on my on my bicycle. I think it was about nine o'clock in the morning, and I not long before I, I come into uh, sort of my my sort of uh, quarter of town, I guess you you could call it. I go under an underpass. And as I, I came up from the underpass, a woman came running up from the banks of the river. <clears throat> she was speaking German and she said, come down, quick, come down here. There's a guy and he's on his belly and I don't know what to do kind of thing. And I, I was a bit obviously shocked kind of thing. I put my bike down. I locked my bike quickly and I, I ran down there and I kind of thought, oh, well, I guess I'll get him in the recovery position. I, I don't know a lot about first aid. Like I did a first senior first aid course when I was about 16. I think that's when I last did it. So Tom, was this the underpass that's really colorful or is this the underpass where the clarinet guy was playing? Where the clarinet guy. Yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Go on. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, so I went down the bank, uh, and I, yeah, I got down there and this guy was kind of slouched, slouched over um, by the, right by the river. 
And I thought, uh, I'll just do that. Uh, what's it? Danger airway breathing is the kind of protocol. So I looked, I, I didn't see any immediate danger. And I just felt to see if he was breathing. I actually felt his torso because he was sort of leaning over and his torso felt a bit stiff already. I kind of thought, Oh, that's okay. And then I, I sort of, I tried to, you know, uh, talk to him a bit and I, um, pretty uncertain so a few uncertain minutes the and the woman she was sort of she she went back up because my phone was flat too so she went back up to and she didn't have her phone and she got a, a, somebody to ring that ambulance and um yeah i felt for his pulse on his neck and he didn't have one and his his skin was a little bit clammy it wasn't blue but it was kind of like that looked like the blood hadn't really been pumping around um, yeah and then there was a sort of a few moments of me thinking like I'm, i think he, he also had he was sort of slouched over and he also had blood coming from his was had come from his mouth was on the um on the ground yeah so Another guy came down and he was also very unsure. And then I was, I was like, should we sort of drag him up maybe? And, and he, I think he was a bit sort of standoffish, that other fella. And then the ambulance came and the, the uh, I guess the paramedics came, came down and I sort of helped them to sort of sit him up a little bit. And they're like, yeah, he's, he's been dead for, for a couple of hours, let's say. I think so. And did yeah, they, they know? Sort of did they know the, why, oh, sorry, Tom. Sorry. Well, I then just gave a statement to the police officer with the woman who's, who who sort of came up running up from the banks and um yeah, and then came home and, and washed up. You came home and washed up. Mm. What are you, a nineteenth-century surgeon? <laughs> You just came home and washed up, and that was it. <laughs> well, then I, I, um, I, uh, I, I debriefed with some, uh, with my girlfriend. I called, and I think, um, yeah, my, did that kind of, that kind of thing. Like, tried to take a bit of uh, care with my mental state. I guess, like to draw a line around it was this the first dead body that you have seen at all i've seen one dead body at my uncle my old uncle he, he had an open coffin at his funeral and i remember thinking i was i think i was about 15 14 or 15 and i thought that's probably a good good time to look at a dead body i think he was in his 80s maybe or 70s or 80s and how old was this uh, fellow that you uh, came across? I don't know. I'd say like maybe late late thirties to mid forties, kind of. And and what what did he die of? I don't know. They, they didn't they didn't know this. I guess they would have determined that later. He didn't have <clears throat> any needle in his arm or anything like that. So I don't don't really know. Hard to say. And and after you had gone home and washed up, 
when you went to sleep that night or lay down on the pillow that night, what were you thinking? I can't really remember, to be honest. Was it a, uh, was it a emotionally violent experience or was it just, this is just, this is part of the, this is the way the rabbit runs, as they say in Germany. I think it was a bit, definitely wasn't, I wasn't expecting that, that to have that experience that morning. So it was shocking. Well, I bet he wasn't expecting to have that experience either. He might, he, he may have been suicide. So in which case, yeah, so hard to know. As in he could have jumped some from somewhere to where he was found? Definitely didn't jump, no. No, but he might have had some sort of pill. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, it's, it's all speculation, but... Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So you've trimmed your beard, Tom. <laughs> it's it's taken it's taken years off you, Tom. It's taken years off you. Um, would you would you go as far to uh, cleanly shave your face? <laughs> I don't think so. I quite like my little um, facial hair. Yeah. <clears throat> um and also it's it's easy for the care process in terms of i don't know like the shaving you have to buy the shaver and then yeah that's true like you gotta shave and and then but where if you just trim it every couple of weeks or so then um in your head job job done yeah you're, well, yeah, it's a drag. Like to to literally to drag the razor across your face every other day, is mm. the epitome of a drag. That's no good. <laughs> and and if the man, if the poor man that you did find, uh, did kill himself, he might have killed himself over having to shave every other day. And <laughs> and he may have not have done that if he was in the possession of a hair clippers. And just someone to whisper in his ear to say, hey, man, it's okay. You don't need to uh, burden yourself with this every day. There's alternatives. Now, that's not to make light of the situation, but I think every mental overwhelmness, over, over, uh, uh, every mental burden that is too much to bear, all it takes is someone with a different perspective to whisper in your ear and say, ah, there's another way of looking at this. Yes, yeah, it's invaluable that that kind of um, perspective shift. Yeah, I I believe they call from it the, from the <laughs> from the libraries of um, Mesopotamia to the uh, yeah, gum trees in Australia. The libraries of Mesopotamia to the gum trees of Australia. Hang on, let me write that down. I'm just gonna. Where's my pen? I'm just gonna get top up my um coffee. I'll, I'll be one minute. All right. What, what, what am I supposed to do, Tom? 
I'm supposed to... My back, my back is breaking already from carrying this show, mate. All right, okay. Tom's got, Tom's got to get a copy, ladies and gentlemen. Jeez, he's looking good this week. He's looking very handsome. And he's walking into the back of the library. Um, for some reason, the other night, I, I was restless, couldn't sleep, and someone sent me a beautiful Michael Lewinig cartoon, uh, and it was of Vasco Pajama, who's the main character in the Lewinig cartoons, occasionally. Uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with Michael Lewinig or Vasco Pajama, uh, if you're listening from... Um, we, we have listeners from all over the world, which is absolutely amazing. Um, but if you're not familiar with Michael Lewinig or Vasco Pajama, I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend diving deep into Michael Lewinig's best work. Um, it, it, it is a mix. It, I, I think he is the modern day uh, Aesop. He, he has philosophical lessons that he, um, um, I wouldn't say teachers cause I wouldn't, I, I don't think he would think of himself as a teacher. I think he would think of himself as a conduit for ideas that he just passes on. Um, and there is one, and they're very, they're very simple. They're very, uh, like we were talking about earlier on in the show, it's not complicated wisdom. It's very simple wisdom. And it has an element of love and calm uh, to it, uh, which is uh, very beautiful. And you can say buy a coffee table book of Michael Lewinig. He's not sponsoring this show, by the way. But a 50-year-old man can sit down and flick through this 300-page uh, almanac of Michael Lewinig's work. And he'll, he'll spend an hour or two on a couch flicking through these cartoons, looking at them. He's kind of like Gary Larson, but a, a little bit profound and not, not as funny, but, but gentle and beautiful. Uh, I think he's better than Gary Larson in that sense. But the same 50 year old man, when he's finished with the, uh, not the Gary, Larson, when he's finished with the Michael Lewinig almanac, um, the six year old in the same house, will pick the same book up and he'll spend two hours flicking through it. Um, and now I, 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 I say that from experience. I've watched my own young children who I would have thought there's no way they can get this. There's no way they can. And they literally will spend an hour or two relaxing on a, on a bed on a Saturday afternoon, flicking through Michael Looney. Uh, so I would, I would absolutely recommend it. One of the, the cartoon that was sent to me was uh, what should I do and what should I have? And Vasco Pajama was in a rowboat in the middle of a turgid ocean. I don't know if turgid is the right word, but it sounds like it is. And he said, what should I do? And what should I have? And the answer came, you should uh, do nothing and you should have a rest because if you don't have a rest, you become restless. And at the moment, the entire world is being asked to have a rest, to stop, stop moving, be calm, stay at home, spend time with your family. And that's all you need to do. And what murders me as a human being, is that so many people are finding this to be an atrocious idea that they're going to stay home and relax with their family. 
Now, in, in Australia, there's a beautiful radio station called Radio National, and they actually call themselves the Idea Network. And one of my favorite guys on the Idea Network is a doctor called Dr. Norman Swan. And he is a Scottish immigrant to Australia from, from probably the 70s or the 80s, but he's still got a thick Scottish accent. And he was apparently born from, uh, his, his family background is Jewish. There's not very many Jewish Scotsmen or women, apparently. But he's extremely intelligent, extremely thoughtful, extremely sober. He's very, very sober. And he has these beautiful ideas. And, and I, I'm not interested in uh, listening to health programs, but I'll listen to his health program. That's how good he is. And he has a very seductive uh, way of speaking. Dr. Norman Swan. He has this beautiful uh, Scottish brogue. And he's, it's trusting. And when the coronavirus broke out, the, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation gave him his own corona podcast just to soothe the nation with his Scottish accent. Now, he's a brilliant scientist as well. He's a, he's a, he's a practicing GP as well. But the nation of Australia said, Norman, we need you now. This is your Bob Hawke moment. But to so my... We've got... Oh, we've got... <laughs> <laughs> sorry to interrupt yeah i got on a bit of a run so we've got michael Lewinig, um yes. and norman norman who uh, uh you have to call him dr norman swan <laughs> and you have to say it in a scottish accent just to be respectful dr dr who dr. doctor no not dr who <laughs> he had the cheap tv show on the abc this guy's got a podcast at the moment Dr. Norman Swan. <laughs> and in the normal course of events, he would tell you about uh, diabetes and dementia and blood pressure. And he'd, he'd be on the health report. And he, he, he would talk to you about your kidneys, you know. And if, if, it was a, if it was a man or a woman with no personality and a monotone voice talking about it, it would be death. It would be death, but it's not. It's Dr. Norman Swan. <laughs> and he's very charismatic. And he wants you to have the best kidney health you possibly can have. And these are the <laughs> steps you have to take in order to have them. So make sure, wash your hands, sneeze into a tissue that you dispose of immediately. And you're, and you're listening to this going, oh, this is soothing shit. This is good stuff. <laughs> but... I was, I was disappointed. He was a bit more Norman Swan. That's good. He was what? Norman Swan. Norman Swan. Give us a bit more Norman Swan. I think you've had enough. I think you've had enough Norman Swan. <laughs> I want to try something. Are you going to try a bit of Norman Swan? No, no. You try a bit of Norman Swan. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to try something. Yeah. You go Norman Swan. Okay, this is Norman Swan advising Australian parents about how to introduce their children to the benefits of cups of tea. Okay, so it goes something like this. <laughs> it goes something like this. Now, of course, we all like a cup of tea. We've liked cups of tea for our entire lives. Whether we're Chinese Australians, Indian Australians, Irish Australians, we all like cups of tea. 
Now, when you're introducing your children to antioxidants that are found in cups of tea, green tea, black tea, Irish tea, English tea, English breakfast, it's very important to try and introduce them to having the tea without sugar. Now, your child will want to put a spoon of sugar in their cup of tea. Why? Because it's sweet, because it makes them happy. Your job as an Australian parent, in order, in order to stop them from devolving into a habit they're going to have to deal with in their later lives, try and encourage them not to have sugar in their tea. And I think most Australians understand this. I'm Dr. Norman Swan. This is The Health Report. The news is coming up next. <laughs> that was brilliant. It's, that's Dr. Norman Swan. He's brilliant. He's absolutely good. But he, he had a promo. He had a promo on Radio National and ABC TV where he said, um, he basically said, he, he said the coronavirus is going to go on and the lockdown and the shutdown is going to go on for so long. Um, and he basically said, but how are we possibly supposed to spend this much time with our own families? He actually said that. Mm. I don't like to do anything else but spend time with my two boys. Mm. That's what I love. Today, mm. now I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to sell myself as an altruistic parenting phenomenon. I like to get drunk in the middle <laughs> of the day like anybody else. But today, we were making jigsaw puzzles. We were preparing pork milanaise. We were uh, throwing the ball for the dog out the front. We were cleaning together. We were, we were doing all sorts of things. Um, we watched uh, a couple of episodes of Captain Underpants, which is, was actually more entertaining than I thought it would be. <laughs> but this idea that our worst possible imaginable horror is to be locked in our own homes with our family is disgraceful. And I think we might need to, not that I'm, I'm not going back on my idea of giving up thinking, but if I hadn't I've given up thought and thinking, I, 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 I would think that that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think it's unbearable. Like we all love our family so much, even the people that don't consciously um, realize it. It's just a, it's a, a very intense, um, unbearable, can be unbearable because you, we really just want to want what's best for each other, and we're not always the best at bringing bringing it out. Or, or maybe we are in terms of the because we're all connected in some kind of way. Like, oh, I think if if the coronavirus has showed us anything, it showed us that. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of people on the planet. So, not as many as there was a couple of months ago. Probably, probably. Okay. Well, even if we just take the guy that you found in Germany, it's less at least one. Yeah, but there would have been a birth that day too. Oh, nice time. Yeah. Yeah, so vegetables. This is this is uh, this is uh, something I've been thinking about. You've been thinking about vegetables. Yeah, 
What, what have you been thinking about? <laughs> permaculture. Well, I've been looking at some permaculture videos. What, what is permaculture? It's, it's setting up systems that benefit um, each other. Uh, generally, or as far as I understand it, I'm a, I'm a novice in the, in the field, but it, I think it's, um, yeah, it's setting up systems that benefit each other, mainly in the plant world. But I think if, um, uh, in any, any sense, I think like everybody, anybody that's into permaculture, I think is, is into, um, creating beneficial environments that sort of um, help help different um, plants and species kind of intertwine and and benefit from each other are we talking about the circle of life here I guess so in a way but but I guess I think that the, in the sense sense that I've been looking at it it's more like people that have got a they're using some land and they're, they've set it up in, in such a way so that the, for example, the, um, the apples are feeding the chickens and the chicken manure is going into the strawberry um, field and the strawberries are uh, being used to make jam and it's sort of cycle of um, like an efficient system of 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 growth and productivity. Yeah, the way it should be. Permaculture. Does that come from the word permanent, or does that come from the word perm as the way nineteen eighties women used to get their hair curled viciously? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Could be both. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you a short story, Tom. I, I, I was I was six years old, uh, uh, an, a little six-year-old Irish boy, with with a, with a twinkle in his eye and rosy red cheeks, and and probably a little belly that was too big, that was bigger than it should have been, if you know what I mean. And I was uh, at my uncle, auntie, uh, uncle Eddie, and auntie Doreen's house getting uh, babysat because my mother was, had gone out to the, had gone out to the shops to get her hair done. And when my mother dropped us off at Auntie Dory and Uncle Eddie's house, she dropped us off and she had straight brown hair, shoulder length. And I was very happy with that. As a six year old boy, I was pleased and comfort with my mother's shoulder length, straight brown hair. And I was more pleased with the fact that I got to spend a few hours at uh, Uncle Eddie and Auntie Doreen's house because that was like our second what, what home. Was it? What? Yeah. What was it about being there that was that you enjoyed in that in that place in that environment? It was. It was just a beautiful space to be in. The carpets were thick. The air. Uh, the air in the house uh, smelt of roast lamb and garlic most of the time. Uh, there was a lot of Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin getting played. Um, there was crystal glasses and cups of tea. Um, there was double glazing and, and warm radiators. And, and all of that stuff was in our house as well. But 
you just got a little bit extra special treatment at Uncle Eddie and Auntie Doreen's house. For example, one small example, uh, we slept over there one night and um, uh, they had our favorite cereal, which were these things called oat puffs, which were kind of a cross between a Nutri-Grain and a Rice Krispie. And I was very much looking forward to my bowl of oat puffs the next morning. And they were sweet and sticky. They were the kind of cereal if you left in the bowl uh, without any milk or liquid, when you picked it up, they would all be stuck together from all the all the sugar that was that was in it. Um, and and my uncle Eddie was a, an indulgent man. He loved loved. He, he suffered from gout from time to time. Loved uh, food and drink and the good things in life. But anyway, I woke up one day and it was time for oat puffs. And my uncle Eddie, it was just me and my uncle Eddie in, in this, in this Irish kitchen. And he got out the bowl and he got out the spoon and he poured the oat puffs. And then he said, Oh, Adam, there's no milk. Now this was devastating, devastating news. It was what do you mean? There's no milk. This is oat puff Saturday. What are you talking about? There's no milk. I'm here for the oat puffs, uncle Eddie. I didn't say any of that out loud. This was all. In <laughs> um, but the, the kind of man that uncle Eddie was, he said, that's okay. We don't need milk because I've got a liter of cream in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and he filled up the bowl with, with thick, heavy Irish cream. Now a, a thick, heavy Irish milk is like Australian cream because these cows are eating this Irish grass and that what comes out the other end is just a different, it's a different level. It's, it's like going from the NBL to the NBA. Do you know what I mean? Of creams. Mm -hmm. So I basically was drinking white creme milk. de la creme, the creme de la creme. Absolutely. Uh, so that's why I was so happy to be there. Cause that was the kind of indulgent environment it was, which is why my uncle Eddie died prematurely, but he had a great life. Now, he wasn't listening to um, Dr. Norman Swan. <laughs> no, he absolutely was not. Now make sure you put cream in your oat pup. No, so <laughs> I was there uh, and, my, and my mother was away with her straight brown hair. She came back, Tom. She came back. Not only did she have a vicious 1985 perm, right? That was now just sitting above the bottom of her earlobes sucked into her head like a cheap bicycle helmet. Not only did she have that, she had streaks of purple through her perm. Oh, wow. Now I was expecting, I, not expect. I was expected to deal with this. And the only way I could deal with this in my six year old <laughs> brain was to burst out crying, run upstairs and hide under the, under the bed. <laughs> Quite appropriate. I would say. That's what I, that, that, that's exactly what I thought. Um, so yeah, uh, I think I'm going to ring, I'm going to have to give your mother a call. I think I wouldn't bring that up. <laughs> I wouldn't bring that up. <laughs> she, she's, she's now suffering from alopecia and, and, uh, has, has gaps all over her hair and she'd love either a straight, uh, a straight long shoulder length or a tight bob. Uh, no, that'd be the last thing. Uh, that'd be the last thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and as as the great Jordan Peterson says, and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs>